I think a welcome message for exhibition. We're going to be dealing with another year of a dearth of theatrically released titles because of the production disruption stemming from the actor strike and the writer strike. So having more films in theaters helps. This is the Box Office Podcast. I'm Rebecca Polly, Deputy Editor at Box Office Pro, the pulse of theatrical exhibition. Joined here today by Box Office Editorial Director Daniel Aria, Box Office Analyst Chad Kennerk, and in a surprise appearance, Daniel's little baby recording from uh, sitting on his lap. I'm curious to find out what she thinks about this week's box office because we do have uh, some news to go over, some surprising box office that came in over the weekend. But yeah, let's get right to it. First up, Chad, uh, right after, I think the day after we recorded last week's episode, because we typically record on Monday, something pretty big did come out, at least big in our corner of the world. What's the situation with Disney, Pixar, theaters, Disney Plus. I mean, that's definitely big. One of the big stories in terms of, uh, you know, the theatrical exhibition community in this year. And we have a, a new chapter in that story. Yeah. Disney and Pixar announcing that three feature films, Soul, Turning Red, and Luca, that all originally went to Disney Plus are heading to theaters next year. Uh, so January, February, and March each month is going to have a special theatrical engagement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My apologies to our, to our listeners. As you see me come in and out of mute here, I was not able to secure childcare because I'm technically still on my time off here, my parental leave. So you might hear a very fussy baby in the background, probably because of those Disney box office numbers that we've been contending with. I haven't seen any of these films. Honestly, I don't have Disney Plus. Somehow I made it through the pandemic without subscribing to that one. Daniel, I know you've seen Soul. We're a big fan of it. I like how this is a little bit of, I guess, uh, vindication for quite early in the pandemic. We did put Soul on the cover before Disney announced that it was going straight to streaming. So there was a couple of moments of, oh my God, we put a streaming only movie on the cover of box office and now it's not a streaming only movie. So, uh, so I'll take that. Yeah, Daniel, I mean, as someone who's seen at least some of these movies, What's your gut feeling on, I mean, are parents going to be bringing their kids to these in over Q1 just because there's not as much else to do? It's generally a pretty quiet time at the box office, at least January. They're known quantities at this point, films. They're so. known quantities, yeah, but it's, it's, I think, a welcome message for exhibition. We're going to be dealing with another year of a dearth of theatrically released titles because of the production disruption stemming from the actor strike and the writer strike. So having more films in theaters helps, especially f films from major studios. I've seen both Soul and Turning Red. They're both fantastic Disney films. Pixar, if I'm not mistaken, on both of them, or is Turning Red yeah. Walt Disney Animation? They're all Pixar. Yeah, all three are Pixar. All three are Pixar. Yeah. I've heard good things about Luca, but I can personally vouch for Soul being a fantastic and incredible movie. And Turning Red was one of the best things I saw. I think that was even, when was that, March of last year that it was released in Disney+. Plus. Really enjoyed both those titles. They're coming, as Chad mentions, in sequence in January, February, March. Three animated titles, three fresh opportunities for parents to leave the house and go to the movies, even if it's a movie they might have already seen in the small screen. I think it's better than the alternative, which we have to remind our partners in exhibition is nothing. 
the alternative is nothing. So <laughs> it's not bad. In terms of family-friendly films, what do we have coming out in wide release next year? I think the first one is, what, Kung Fu Panda 4? And that's not until early March. There's nothing else that's coming out wide for that, you know, animation, family-friendly audience. And I don't know if we've ever really had a comparable situation to this in terms that would allow us to predict, especially this early, what they might do in box office. Hopefully they put the effort and the, the time and the attention and frankly, the money into marketing the theatrical releases and into working with theaters to, uh, to help get some family audiences out. Yeah, definitely. I think needed for the first quarter of 2024 that uh, we'll also see rescheduled titles like Warner Brothers Dune Part 2. I'm really looking forward to that one. Another recovery year, unfortunately, because of that disruption on the content pipeline that we have ahead of us. But when we see studios move towards increasing their theatrical output with anything they've got, I think that's a good sign. I'm hoping that we see something similar from other studios to help us get through the leaner months of 2024. And talking about lean months, it's been a lean news week, guys, because if we're about to do what we're going to do here on the running order of the episode, we're talking about the Golden Globe nominations. What is it, 1999? Is there anything else going on? <laughs> well, Dana, you do regularly say, and I agree that, you know, as fans of movies and, and people who really like to dig into them, the conversation about how much money they do or do not make is really the least interesting conversation to have. I would say right up with it, right up there is the award season prediction and forecast. I like, especially when it's the Golden Globes, I'm not personally interested in that. But I think you still have to take a look at, for a lot of people, award season is how they become aware of a lot of these movies. I think definitely still a factor, if less of a factor than it used to be. And it's interesting to see, you know, what got nominated, what didn't, what can maybe get a boost from the added name recognition. We've had some critic groups already give out awards, right? I'm seeing Past Lives on a couple. We have The Zone of Interest from Jonathan Glazer, and we've also had Killers of the Flower Moon. They've been like the trio that have been picking up awards left and right. We're going to go over these Golden Globe nominations. We're all going to also going to share with you some of our early reactions to some of the movies that have already been nominated, some that aren't, just to sort of give us some insight on what's going to happen at the Academy Awards next year and what this holiday period box office might look like, because yeah, we're going to need all the help we can get. In as much as the Golden Globes and, and the conversation around them can really tell us anything about the films that are coming out this year, which, you know, debatable, but to the extent that they can, I think it's instructive to see what films were not nominated. Specifically here, it raised my eyebrows a bit that neither The Color Purple nor Wonka, two big wide-release musical films coming out in December, both, I believe, from Warner Brothers, neither of them securing a nomination in the Best Picture Musical or Comedy category. When it's a musical or comedy, the, the bar is automatically <laughs> set relatively low. So when musical comedies like Wonka failed to hit, that's a concern. Or when a musical drama, because again, we don't get too many of those, fails to connect, I think that's also a concern. Air got in from Amazon. Is Air a comedy? Yeah, the, sure. The, 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 the sure. Air Jordans yeah. movie? <laughs> yeah, there's some jokes. You know, Buena Vista movies from 1993 that don't get made anymore. But I haven't seen Wonka or Color Purple. Have either of you guys? No, not yet. I haven't seen Wonka. have heard surprisingly good things that the buzz is pretty good. I haven't seen the Color Purple. I 
you know, did go, I've seen the stage version and what we saw at CinemaCon, which was a first trailer and and Oprah showing up to do a little interview. I mean, it was promising to me. Uh, Her big pitch for the film definitely seemed to be, we are encouraging families to go out, groups to go out. This is a group movie. People, you know, get your friends, get your family together and and come see it over the holidays. I don't know if I've seen that push happen yet, (laughs) but maybe it's, uh, you know, I'm just not, seeing I'm not looking in the right places. Well, this is a question about the marketing because I don't know if you've noticed that these musicals aren't necessarily being marketed as musicals. The Mean Girls one too that comes out I yeah, think in January. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that just, reminds me of a moment in Sweeney the pandemic return. My wife and I went to go see Serrano in theaters and maybe 5 minutes in, two people in the row ahead of us very loudly just exclaim wait a minute, this is a musical? No way. And they just stand up and angrily leave. Five minutes in, they were that alienated. Come on, Desner Brothers? How can you go wrong with that? But sure, they didn't like it. Yeah, those might be issues. I don't really understand what's going on in the marketing there. But talking about marketing pushes, we really haven't seen too much of anything. I mean, Netflix is still doing the sending every journalist out there a coffee table book that weighs 84 pounds that then most of us put out on eBay. On the male performance of the year, it's Coleman Domingo's Award to Lose. I didn't enjoy Rustin as a film, but his performance is electric. He has a a magnetic presence in front of the the screen. Interesting to see both Zone of Interest and Anatomy of a Fall on the best picture drama category there. We might see those foreign language titles sneak in to the Academy Awards as best picture contenders. We'll have to see. We yeah. definitely saw foreign language uh, titles sneak into the top five this weekend. At the top of the list for the first time ever, number one finish for director Hayao Miyazaki with his latest film, possibly last film. As, as we said before on this podcast, he likes to say he's retiring and then realize, oh no, I actually I, I can't not work on a film and then unretire. Miyazaki's The Boy and the Heron, debuting number one at the box office with 12.9 million domestic. Big congrats to our, our friends at G-Kids who put out some of the best international animation that the world has to offer. This is a number of records for G-Kids, for Studio Ghibli, for Miyazaki. With 12.9 million, uh, the film has almost surpassed the entire domestic runs of those being Arietti in 2012 and Hanyo in 2009. This is the largest opening for a G-Kids release. This is the first original anime not based on existing IP to ever top the weekend box office. And it is the first ever Studio Ghibli film to be presented in the IMAX format. Chad, you saw this one over the weekend. Did you catch it in IMAX or was it a standard screening? No, I actually did catch it in IMAX at a Metropolitan Theater near me. And it does feel like a swan song for Miyazaki. It has a lot of the elements of his previous films. It's also his most dreamlike. So it's kind of hard to describe the plot because of that. But essentially, it follows this 12-year-old boy grieving the loss of his mother and this heron that takes him on this incredible journey And there's some really staggeringly beautiful images in it. 
have to give a shout out to our VP of sales, Patricia Martin, her son, who was the person being 19, being Gen Z, called that Five Nights at Freddy's right. was going to be a big deal. He also had his finger on the pulse of this is a boy in the heron situation. So we will definitely be checking in with him as our unofficial Gen Z correspondent to see what the kids are into these days. Number two at the box office in week four, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, the Hunger Games prequel, dropped about 34% in its fourth week to around $9.4 million. Been a, quite a good hold for this series. I think that Lionsgate definitely has a lot to be happy about with this one, especially considering the film came out at around the time when they weren't able to really do a ton of marketing. The marketing machines hadn't really revved up at that point. In the third position, a film that, Chad, I know you and I both saw in second week, Godzilla Minus One from Toho International, earning $8.3 million on around 2,500 screens. It's a, a really modest 27% drop from last weekend when it opened uh, in the top five. So far, 23% of this last weekend's gross has stemmed from a premium format locations. So definitely, uh, it's nice to see that some of these maybe like untraditional films, whether that's a foreign release or something animated, like The Boy and the Heron, are able to get some screens, get some premium format screens, and the people are going out to see them. I really had a good time with this movie, Chad, and we were talking about how the trailer for the latest Warner Brothers, Godzilla, Plus Kong, X Kong, yeah, something don't get me came started. out last week, and I just, <laughs> I just feel like, man. I mean, I don't even have words. I just that this is this movie is so much better than I assumed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it might be you, great. It might be great, but like, it's a different level than their previous MonsterVerse or whatever it's being called. What's the screen count here? Because I'm going to try to make it out to see this. It's not a movie that I'd normally seek out, but every single person that I know that has seen this movie has been raving about it. Yeah. I mean, I got out and caught it in, in large part because, yeah, I have word of mouth from people who saw it on week one. It's like, okay, well, I got to get out and see this one. It's 2,500 screens, roughly. It's going to lose a lot of those um, next weekend, obviously, because we have Wonka going wide. But I really enjoyed this one. This Godzilla minus one, and then a few years ago, the event summer release of Shin Godzilla, they both just tackle Godzilla as what Godzilla, you know, was initially conceived as a metaphor and a commentary on post-war Japan, on the relationship between the Japanese people and their government. Shin Godzilla uh, definitely had a lot to say about government, like bureaucracy in response to the deadly earthquake and then tsunami they had over there. I mean, seeing this and then and then thinking back to that trailer where it's monsters stomping, the trailer of the Warner Brothers one, let, let me specify, I just don't, this had emotional weight. This Godzilla movie, I was tearing up at times. I, yes, absolutely. <laughs> I cared about the human characters yeah. for once. Yes, and it's like in the world of Godzilla, it's like an award-worthy Godzilla movie. Mm -hmm. You can tell that they didn't have like a huge budget. You can tell they're extras, you know, not the hugest crowds of extras. It's a pretty like small scale film compared to what we've seen from the Warner Brothers incarnation. 
But yeah, I think speaking, Daniel, as you were earlier about how uh, it's been interesting to see some of these foreign language releases work their way into the awards conversation. I think that that's been one of the big stories this year, a kind of silver lining to not having many films at the box office, all of the films, international and otherwise, making waves at the domestic box office in a way that we really haven't seen a ton before. Closing out the top five, we have Trolls Band Together. Number four was 6.2 million, just a slight drop there at 21%. And then Wish at number five with 5.3 million, mild yeah. drop there as well, 31%. Yeah, Wish, uh, it's third week. Yeah, next week, it's fourth week. I think definitely by the time we get to that, it will have fallen out of the top five, which Nobody expected, I think, to be saying that. Ditto in its second week, the Beyonce concert film fell out of the top five to number six. 77% drop, pretty hefty. I would be interested definitely on, on, on hearing from any you know exhibitors or, or theater owners or anyone who has any insight really as to why this happened, what the crowds have been like. I'm I'm surprised by this and, and I don't really know. I can like, tell you on my end, yeah. I been hearing about soft pre-sales on the Beyonce movie for months from exhibitors behind the scenes. You know, it's, it's hard to, to take those comments seriously until you see the big picture. Promising, I guess, opening weekend. But we've seen a bit of picture at this point. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, at this point, unfortunately, it didn't work. I think it just goes back to the potential of these concert movies outside of an event cinema release, which I think has worked for many artists, including uh, K-pop stars BTS. For a traditional theatrical release, I think at the level of Taylor Swift, there is just one Taylor Swift right now. Beyond that, maybe we want to explore event cinema engagements for something like this moving forward. Well, I think too, I mean, Beyonce has been, there has been a Beyonce concert film before that was edited together from her Coachella performances a while back. Granted, it was on Netflix, it didn't get a theatrical release, but I don't know, Daniel, you're the Swifty, You, you tell me. There's really never been such a, a large-scale release of Taylor Swift concert film. To, I mean, it, we are at peak Taylor had, Swift. I mean, yeah. even if we look cross-culturally with like her presence at NFL games, it was just the right time, the right movie at the right time. It was lightning in a bottle. I'm not sure exhibition can recreate that with any other artists anytime soon. And then uh, elsewhere in the top 10, we have at number eight, the Bleecker Street release of A Waitress, the musical, coming in on the top 10 with 3.2 million on around 1,200 screens. Definitely a good result. That's another one that I caught that one uh, when it was, <laughs> sorry, Daniel's, Daniel's kids being adorable right now. Very cute. Because she likes uh, Waitress, the musical. It's a good musical. And then remaining in the top 10, Napoleon. The Indian language film Animal, which made it into the top five, I believe, last week, and the shift from Angel Studios at number 10. We also have Migration from Universal. That doesn't come out domestically until, I believe, the 22nd, but it did start its international rollout. Can you give us a sense of some of those numbers, Chad? Yeah, so internationally, it picked up 6.5 million in 18 markets, including China, France, and Italy. Uh, So that's just off from what Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, made in those same markets. And then the international rollouts will continue from December to April. And what do we have that one? Because that's an interesting animated film in the sense that it's 
I don't know if it's based on a, a children's book or, or something. It might it might not be like purely original IP, but it's not part of an established film franchise. So so what have we been predicting for that one? Right. I believe it's original IP and Illumination's also smart because they're doing a little minions short before. Oh. So they kind of have that IP hook there. But we're predicting 15 to 30 million for the, the long range for, forecast on that one. I'm hearing illumination. I'm hearing minions short. And I'm I'm kind of hearing cash register bells go off in my, my head a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Certainly, yeah. I mean, aside from those theatrically re-released Pixar movies, it's not going to have a lot of competition on the family-friendly front. But, you know, family-friendly movies, that's one that... W- We've kind of seen that genre yo-yo up and down a little bit over the pandemic era. It seems with the with the family titles, it's been a little feast or famine. Yeah, yeah. Which Wonka could present a feast for families. It kind of fits into that pocket, and that's coming up this next weekend, December 15th. And we're estimating the opening weekend there, 26 to 36 million. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's from Paul King, who directed both the Paddington movies. Excellent films. I remember when the the first like promo images for the first Paddington came out, and everyone was very much like very skeptical, like this is what is this? And then it came out, and you have like Nicole Kidman is an evil taxidermist, and, and everyone was rightfully in love. So this is one that I I think you know we could be having you know even if we're looking at a twenty six million to thirty six million opening weekend, so not anything crazy. I think this one could have good holds if the word of mouth is good, which the word of mouth such as it exists in the screening process so far is already good for this one. I mean, I don't know, you have Hugh Grant out there on the press circuit talking about how much he like hated doing this movie and he needed to buy a <laughs> yacht or something. Like, you know what, Hugh <laughs> That's Grant? That's just good press. <laughs> that is good, you know. I'm not I feel uh, you're going to let Hugh Grant do what he's what he's going to do. My boyfriend Eric does uh, some of those press junkets, and he has said that by far Hugh Grant was his drunkest in person interview. Oh, interesting. By far. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, Hugh Grant, Oompa Loompa, you do you. Also, out in limited release this weekend from MGM, Amazon, American Fiction with Jeffrey Wright. That's a good one. Have you yeah. guys caught that one yet? And an advanced no, I mean, and it got a, a couple of Golden Globe nominations. So if uh, oh, you know, they catching. might get a boost it's from a good that. One. The satire's a little bit on the nose, but beyond that, there's a nice heartfelt story behind it that I think makes the movie a really good holiday picture. Nice, nice. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing Poor Things. I've heard amazing things. I know it's expanding this weekend, even if I don't know to what extent. We're at the point when the family is trying to figure out, you know, what movie are we going to see on Christmas? What movies are we going to see over the Christmas uh, kind of vacation? I've heard that there are enough sex scenes in this one that I'm probably not going to try and watch this one with my parents <laughs> probably yeah probably not a family yeah. film <laughs> but my my dad's already started the group text uh, seeing if if anyone would be down to see the boys in the boat from amazon and gn and george dad Clooney. movies ultimate that's, dad that's movie. just one that's just one of two dad movies coming out in, in the holiday period we've got ferrari with uh, adam driver michael mann's new film coming out on christmas day you know I, i'm still aghast at that how anyone could have seen House of Gucci a year ago, two years ago when it came out, and was just like, you know what? We need more Adam Driver doing an Italian accent. And you know what? The only thing that can improve that, let's bring Shailene Woodley. 
Let's have her do an Italian accent too. Let's see what happens. Beyond that, Michael Mann is at the top of his game. But man, this <laughs> year with uh, with accents, woof, woof. Not the I don't know, not the most obvious choice. Well, apparently, uh, I don't know, Chad. Did you see the boy in the heron dubbed or subbed? Because apparently, Robert Pattinson as the heron is doing some crazy oh. stuff. <laughs> oh, <laughs> both voice acting wise. <laughs> oh, thankfully, I saw it subbed, which I think is the only way to go. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I've apparently yeah in the in the in the subbed version, which I don't know if you have the if you have kids who can't read. Apparently, Robert Pattinson's just going balls to the wall on it. I've listened to some clips, and it's really something else. I'm telling you, Robert Pattinson accents don't get any better than The King. That's on Netflix. <laughs> him doing that French accent as a magazine owned by a French company. I think we're allowed to the cartoonishly French. Enjoyed every second style of it. stuff. So good. So good. Yeah, it, it was fantastic. Wonderful. I love a deranged Robert Pattinson performance. Uh, you know, a uh, subdued, brooding Adam Driver performance is always good. We mentioned Ferrari, but a completely deranged, off the wall Pattinson, always worth my time at the movies. Is he in Mickey 17, the Bong Joon Ho that's coming out in the next few months? I think he if might be. You're not the one here that knows that. I, I don't think. Yeah, Chad he is. Either. Yeah. There we go. Chad knows. He's yeah, Mickey. No there you go. Well, I'm there you excited. go. He's Mickey there. <laughs> Title character. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's going to be a rough holiday period at the box office, but there are interesting movies out there. At the very least, it's sometimes an embarrassment of riches. We get into a situation like last year where we're like, oh man, I wish there was something else other than Avatar playing that was interesting and a little insane. I wish there was something different than Spider-Man No Way Home. Well, you have that this year. You have a number of uh, very interesting risks being taken by major directors and interesting actors. Definitely. Yeah. Last year, uh, we saw Avatar 2 on Christmas because it was pretty much the only game in town. But uh, yeah, definitely glad to have more options this year, even if, you know, knock on wood, 2024, we're back to having a big holiday spectacular, drawing everyone into the theaters. But that's it uh, for this week's episode of the Box Office Podcast. Please do tune in next Thursday. Through the end of the year, we will be doing some reminiscences, some breakdowns of 2023 in cinema. The winners, the losers, the good stories, the bad stories. We're going to be talking about Warner Brothers a lot on both sides of that equation between some of their corporate decisions and then, of course, the crazy good marketing and success of Barbie. But anyways, uh, yes, please do tune in next week. The Box Office Podcast is co-produced by Box Office Pro, the Box Office Company, and Record Edit Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, please do like or subscribe, or you can email us at uh, daniel at boxoffice.com or rebecca at boxoffice.com. If you have complaints about our analysis, we, we do this for the exhibition community and for exhibitors, and we always like to hear what you guys have to say. Thanks, and have a good week. 